Well, good morning, Willow Creek Community Church. Yeah, it's great to be with you. And welcome those of you in the brand new atrium. I hope you're enjoying it. It's a great room. And I'm so glad that's finished. And uh, what a week we just had. Uh, Global Leadership Summit, one of my favorite weeks of the year. And uh, just part of my joy of this was my daughter came with me, my 15-year-old. And this was her fourth summit. Is my 24th, her fourth. And uh, she started coming when she was 12. And she confessed to me in one of the drives home that truthfully, when she was 12, she really didn't understand a word anybody was saying. And, uh, but she said, I'm getting it now. And, uh, and we had such great conversations. And I share this with you. You know, when I was growing up, uh, I, I really don't think I got any practical training on leadership, really, until I came here as a 23-year-old. And, uh, and I thought, boy, I wish I would have had this. That's why I love having my daughter with me, because she talks leadership. And I go, if you, if you want to lead, you might as well start learning from leaders now. And I tell you this because some of you have a teenager in your life that talks leadership, and they could benefit from being at the summit. And so I would just right now start the conversation, get it on the calendar, prepare for next year, because I think it'll bless them. The other thing is if you're a leader in any sector, social sector, in nonprofit, in the business world, wherever you're a leader, I'd encourage you, make this a priority. This was an awesome two days, lots of great learning, things I could actually take back and, uh, for me to implement. But don't miss them. And uh, I do want to say one more thank you. It takes hundreds of volunteers to put on this event. Many of our volunteers, I heard, took two days off from work just to serve. Can we one more time thank each of them for their hard work? Yeah, thank you so much. Did a great job. Now, uh, today we're in week two of our series, We Are Here. And here's the idea that really led into this series. is uh, We're at a very unique time in the history of our church. Uh, we've got, uh, in our past, some challenges that we have had to deal with and are still dealing with. Uh, we've also got a future in front of us that I think it'd be great if we would prepare ourselves because I think God has great things in mind. But one of my mantras is uh, never waste a good crisis. And uh, I say this in my family, our family, we've had lots of crises. We've had health crises. Uh, we've had vocational crises. We've had family crises. You may be the same way where you've had different crises. And the temptation when you're in one of these moments is this. The temptation is to go, I just want to get out of it. Do whatever you can to put... Uh, things back, I want to go back to the way it was, or I want life is normal. Those are some of the phrases we say. But here's why I say never waste it. God does something really unique and powerful if you allow him in the moments and in the midst of a crisis. He'll reshape you. He'll change your heart. He'll make you stronger. And one of the greatest blessings I found is in the middle of crisis, if I go through it the right way, for whatever reason, God will show me some new aspect of his character that grows my faith. I think he wants to do that for our church, which is why I say to you, I don't want us to waste this. And that's what this series is about. How can we make sure we really learn in the midst of what this is, in the midst of this crisis, really learn and try to understand who God is and who we're supposed to be? And then how do we invite him to shape us to prepare us to be the church that we have to be to do what he's asking us to do in the future? So we're going to dive in. We're talking about things like worship. God has done something unique in our church around the concept of worship. But I want us to go even further with that to make sure we galvanize that value in us. He's done a work in us in prayer. Many of us have prayed more fervent prayers this last year than many times in your life. This last week, I had pastors from all over the globe who would stop me and say, you don't know me, but our church has been praying for your church every day. I thought we need to be that kind of church for other churches in the future, don't we? 
So we're going to talk about worship. We're going to talk about prayer. We're going to talk about what it means for us to reach our friends who are far from God. What does it mean for us to be in their lives, loving them, caring for them, and invitational about different aspects where maybe, maybe God will speak to them. The temptation in a crisis is that we, we really go internal and just kind of protect ourselves. Uh, the nautical language is you batten down the hatches, right? The storm hits, you batten down the hatches, you just kind of go insular for a while. The danger is if you're not careful, you will stay self-focused for far too long. And the idea is there has to become a point where you determine we're going to open back up, we're going to throw up the sails, it's time to run again. So we're going to talk about what it means to reach our friends. And then today we're talking about what does it mean for us to serve, to really serve. Again, the temptation in a crisis to go, it's, uh, I don't have time for it. I don't have time to serve. It's, I really got to protect myself and care about myself. Not so for our church. For us to be who God wants us to be, I think we have got to re-engage in the value of serving every person possible. So that's what we're talking about today. And in this today, we want to look at the life of Jesus. Everything in this is going to come from his teaching. And specifically, it's the last message that he gave the leaders of his ministry, those 12 disciples, his last message to them. So question, if you knew you only had one lesson to give to your kids or to your grandkids or to the business you lead, you only have one lesson to give, what would you teach them? What would your message be? Jesus had a very specific message for his leaders. And the setting for that message uh, was a dinner table. It was a meal. And the gospels, these stories of Jesus' life describe it. I'll share with you John's gospel. John, later on in his life, is writing about this night. And here's what he says. He says, Jesus knew. Jesus knew. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world. Jesus knew he was about to die. And having loved his own who were in the world, Jesus loved them to the end. Isn't that beautiful? John's going, man, he loved us at the beginning. He loved us. He loved us in the middle. And even in the end, when it got so challenging, he loved us all the way to the end. Jesus loved them. And he says this, the evening meal was in progress. And the devil had already prompted Judas to betray Jesus. This is establishing the setting for this last lesson. And you read the Bible, oftentimes you can just fly through these, but these have really important information about what's happening. First two phrases that I read to you, very simply, it says, Jesus knew. John, looking back on this moment, goes, Jesus knew exactly what was going on. He knew his arrest and his crucifixion were imminent. He knew this was the last meal he would have on earth. Uh, he knew that Judas had already in his heart determined he was going to betray him. The meal tells us he knew Peter would deny him three times. He knew. He knew all that. And a little more than that. He knew the exact place he wanted to have this meal. The other gospels describe that when they were preparing for this meal, he gave a couple of the disciples a job. He said, you're the ones to find the place we're going to have dinner tonight. And then he told them the exact house and the exact owner of the house, and the exact room in that house where he wanted to have the meal. So he had intentionally chose this event for this lesson. Very intentional. The Bible describes that the 12 men with Jesus, the 13 of them, sat down at the meal. That verse said the evening meal was in progress. 
And the idea in these meals is someone was cooking for them. The food was ready. The wine was ready. This feast was about to begin, but it could not start until one thing happened, and it was the washing of the feet. Now, where I grew up in Missouri, oftentimes when I was a kid, we'd be playing outside. My mom would shout to my brother, and I'd say, hey, it's dinner time. We would rush inside, go straight to the table. The food's out. We couldn't wait to dig in, and my mom would slap our hands and say, wash your hands, right? Anybody else have a mom who made you wash your hands first? The rest of you are disgusting. I can't believe it. So, yeah, you wash your hands. Jesus, the custom that day is not only would you wash your hands, but because you had sandals or bare feet, and because you're walking on dusty roads, you washed your feet. Now, here's how this worked. Jesus' day, very clear hierarchy. Very clear social hierarchy. Uh, You knew who was at the top of the hierarchy. That person got the seat of honor. And even within the hierarchy, who sat closest and who sat different spots, there was, again, a status to it. And in this, the lowest act during a meal was the washing of the feet. Most families, this would be a kid. Little kids were the ones who would walk adult to adult and wash their feet. And if it was a wealthy house, if you had money, well, you'd hire a servant, and the servant would wash the feet. This house... This table, the one that Jesus specifically chose, all these adults got around the table and they realized there are no kids in this house and there's not a servant. Now society said, if that's the case, the person in the room who has the lowest social standing was the one who would wash the feet. So you knew at these 13 men, the minute they realized there's no kid, there's no servant, They had to determine, one of us is the lowest, that's my job. And a pause, a complete silence happens at the table. Nobody moves. No one wanted to admit they're the lowest. You got to use your imagination. I kind of imagine Jesus is like looking eyeball to eyeball to each of them, right? And if they're smart, they're like me in school when the teacher would ask a question I didn't know. Just look down, right? Don't make eye contact with Jesus, whatever you do. I kind of imagine Peter, kind of a little rude, kind of going, come on, dude, it's you, right? I'm sure he's picked out a few people that should have been doing it. But no one leaves their seat. No one chooses to serve. No one was willing to admit that they're the low person. See, and here's the thing. This was not a new topic for Jesus. This was not the first time he'd been trying to teach this lesson. In fact, if you read through the four Gospels, Time and time again, the disciples are caught in arguments. And they're constantly arguing about who's the greatest. And the interesting thing is, they never nominate somebody else. It's all about them. Each of them is trying to make the case that they are the best, they're the greatest. Several times it captures them going to Jesus and as one or two or three, trying to say, hey, we're the best, right? We're going to get the accolades, we're going to get the applause, we're going to be at your right hand when you have your kingdom, right? That's us. It even captures that a couple of them uh, enlisted their mom to lobby on their behalf to Jesus that they should be the best. Can you believe that? And then it captures that the other disciples, when they found out, were angry at them. So Jesus had told them multiple times, multiple times, this is not the way it works. Here's just one of the lessons he tried to teach them. This is from Mark's gospel. Jesus says, now you know You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, they lord their power and their status over everybody else. Not so with you. 
Not so with you. Whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. For even the Son of Man, this is Jesus talking about himself. He says, even I did not come here to be served. I came here to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Jesus, again, is pointing to this hierarchy. He's saying to his disciples, the whole world says there's a, there's a person at the top of this pyramid and you want to do everything you can to get there. That's not the way my kingdom works. Not so with you is what he says. And then he paints this beautiful picture. He goes, I didn't leave heaven to come to earth so that you would serve me. I didn't do that. I left all the joys of heaven to come here to serve you. And if I'm going to serve you, if you're going to be my follower, you're going to do the same. Make your life oriented towards service. And I'll be candid with you. I read through the Gospels and I go, how did the disciples not get it, right? Like you get years with Jesus, time and time again he's trying to teach you about this. And yet they're still failing to get it. And I have empathy for them because their world back then, everything around them said, it's all about you, right? It's your career. It's your time. It's your accolades. you got to fight for yourself. Make sure you work your way up to the hierarchy. That world 2,000 years ago, that was what it was all about. And it still is today, isn't it? The dominant message of our culture says, it's all about me. Entertain me. Make me happy. My career is most important. My family. My kids had better have the best. My. Everything in our world says it's all about you. And Jesus says, not so with you. And the minute I become a little judgmental of the disciples, I've got to do a little more reflection. Truth is, all of us struggle with this, right? And let me show you some phrases or a word that can show you that you're getting triggered on this. And this is one that bothers me to no end. And here it is. This is the phrase I hear where I go, we're still struggling with this. It's the phrase, that's not my job. Few phrases make me more angry than when someone says to me, that's not my job. I've had coworkers who I'll ask them to do something. And from their desk chair, they'll spin to me and go, that's not my job. And I go, how did we get this wrong? We work in the church, right? My kids, recently, I asked one of my kids, would you take out the trash? And my kid didn't even look up from the phone and said, that's not my job. I had to walk away and count to 20 to get my Irish temper under control, I'll be honest. (laughs) That's not my job. Do you hear the phrase? My job. That's one of those indicators. You go, boy, we haven't quite gotten this right. We're just like the disciples. We've heard the lesson. It just hasn't been applied fully yet. Unless you think I have this all figured out, let me confess one of my learnings. I was working on this sermon a few weeks ago. And I had a moment when I realized I've got a way to grow in this too. And that day uh, was a very difficult day. Do you ever have a day like this where nothing goes right? You're disappointed all day long. You come to the end. I was driving home and I was like, man, this was a terrible day. And the thought occurred to me, I just want this day to end. And I thought, my strategy is I'm going to eat dinner and go straight to bed and go, I'm ready to start a new day because this one was awful. Anybody else had a day like that? So I did exactly that. I ate. I went to bed early. And I put the phone next to the bed and I said, God, I'm ready for a new day. And just when I was about to fall asleep, my phone buzzed. And unfortunately, I picked it up. I should have left it. 
but I picked it up. And it's a text message from a friend. And the text said this. It said, Steve, I know this guy. He's just an acquaintance. But he leads a nonprofit ministry that sends volunteers to go minister to orphanages around the world. And he has a group of eight women who are stranded at O'Hare. Their flight was canceled. And they have no place to stay. Steve, do you know anyone who could take these eight women in? So I share this. I'm not proud of this. I took the phone and I turned it over and I put it down. And the thought occurred to me, I'll just act like I fell asleep already. I'll tell him I, I got it in the morning. I didn't know. And then some thought occurs to me that I, I'm really not proud of. Then the thought occurred to me, doesn't he know all that I'm going through right now? Doesn't he know the weight I'm carrying right now? Doesn't he know all the problems I'm trying to fix right now? Who is he to email me this late at night? Confession was 9 o'clock. It wasn't that late, but that's how your brain works when you're upset, right? And so I just said, I'm going to bed. Just ignore it. Not my problem. Do you hear the phrase? It's not my job is basically what I'm saying. And you need to know something about this faith, my faith. God knows me so well. He knows exactly how to speak to me. Now, he doesn't speak audibly. It's nothing weird like that, but just an idea pops in my head that I go, I don't think that's my thought. I think that one's from God. And in this moment, as I'm laying there, just hoping I can fall asleep, God just goes, really? So you just serve on your terms, really? You'll serve when you're comfortable, when you have time, really? That's what this looks like? They're stuck at O'Hare trying to serve orphans, and you're worried about your day, really? Maybe, Steve, you should just try something. Just try to help them a little. So I took the phone, and I didn't do much. But I thought, who possibly could take in eight people at the, you know, just with a minute's notice? And two people came to mind, two people who are great at hospitality, who have always welcomed people into their homes. So I shot a text message off to both, and I put the phone down to wait for their answer. And about that time, my wife came up, and I kind of told her the story. And we both started talking. Maybe we're supposed to have them in our house. And uh, our house isn't big. I thought, they're all probably going to sleep on the floor. Maybe one of the kids would give them their bed, and they could sleep in a sleeping bag. But honestly, it wouldn't be comfortable. But we could. We could, we could do it. We could figure it out. And about that time, one of the people texted me back and said, I'm so sorry. We're hosting a group already. We don't have room. And I was like, okay. And uh, again, got back to the plan. Maybe we can make it work in our house. And... And then the second person got back to me. And the first text she sent says, we're out of town right now. And my heart dropped. And then the second text came through and it said, here's the garage code. They can stay at our house. And then the third text said, we only have beds for eight. And here's the funny thing. The next day, I got multiple emails and text messages from these eight women who are about to board a plane, from the leader of that nonprofit, my friend, saying, thanks for all you did to help these women. And what did I do exactly? I read a text message, and I sent a text message. That was my contribution to this awesome story. That's all I did. Um, but I thought... 
If I had given into those selfish moments, if I had bought into not my job, if God had let me sit there with the phone upside down, those eight women would have slept in a waiting area of O'Hare, a horrible start to a servant trip where they're going to give two weeks of their time. Many of them, I found out, taking work vacations to serve orphans. And I almost said, that's not my job. And I thought, the next morning really was just a prayer to God going, I've got so much to grow in this. I'm even writing a sermon on this. And it didn't occur to me how to orient my life. It's so easy. It's so easy in the difficulties of our life, in the challenges of our day, in the busyness, to just get caught up and go, not my job. It's not for me to do. Somebody else can do it. And that's what the disciples are struggling with. See, sometimes it's about social status. Other times it's just about the deception that it's all about me. To this mindset, Jesus says to every one of his followers, not so with you. That is not how you and I are to be oriented in our lives. Which takes me back to this lesson at this table. Again, my hunches for minutes, they sat in complete silence. No one willing to make a move. No one willing to admit that they're at the bottom of this social standing. Everyone jockeying for position, hoping somebody else surely will get up from the table. And then it happened. The person at the head of the table, the one they knew was at the top of the hierarchy, Jesus himself stands up. The Bible says that he took off his outer cloak, which was a sign of his standing. And it was an image of him putting down his pride. He took off that cloak and then he reached over and grabbed a towel and a basin. The Bible catchers at this point, all the disciples are in shock. And Peter finally says, not you. Somebody besides you should serve. Anybody. And Jesus, without saying a word, just gets down on a knee and begins to wash their feet. He washed Peter's feet. Peter, who he knew would betray him. He washed the ones who were his closest friends, John, James. Think about this. He washed Judas' feet, who he knew had already committed to betray him. Think about that. When's the last time you served somebody who was evil to you? I have trouble serving people who annoy me. (laughs) Jesus goes, hey, if you're going to be one of my followers, this is the posture I expect. That you serve. Even people who wish evil towards you. Even that person you're to serve them. That neighbor that drives you crazy, you're supposed to serve them. Your coworker that, if you're honest, you go, I kind of can't stand them. Serve them. Serve them. Jesus washed their feet. My hunch is in total silence. Shock. You can only imagine the emotions these disciples felt. Who they thought, man, I can't humble myself to do this. And then Jesus himself does, with humility and with activity and action, gets down and washes their feet. And when he finished, the Bible says he puts down the towel. They're now ready to eat. And he goes, before we eat, real quick, let me just make sure you get this. He says this. When he had finished washing their feet, he says, do you understand what I've done for you? Do you get it? I've been trying to teach this lesson to you the whole time. Three years. This is my last message. Do you get it? He goes, you call me teacher and Lord, and that is exactly what I am. Now that I've washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I, he said, 
I've set an example for you that you should do just as I've done. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you, what? He says, now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if what? You do them. Here's what Jesus is saying. It's not enough to know the answer to this test. It's not enough to go, yeah, I know we're supposed to serve. The blessing does not come with knowledge. The blessing comes when you humble yourself and serve. That's when you're blessed. Jesus goes, first off, understand as God, I came here to serve. You get that. Now, every one of you is do the same thing. Take off the cloak of pride. Put down your status. That's what he's saying. Pick up a towel. That action that just says, yep, I'm the one who's going to serve. And then go to a knee. Just go, yep, with humility and with intentionality, with action, I'm going to serve. And Jesus goes, you do this, you'll be blessed. You'll receive a blessing. And here's the thing. If you talk to people who serve a lot, you know the thing they're going to tell you the most is what a blessing it is to serve. See, there's truth in Jesus' words. So many people I talk to, the people I admire for how they serve, they go, oh my gosh, I do this because of how it blesses my life. It's such a blessing. Jesus is saying, you want a great life? Do this. Serve, serve, serve. Now, I want to correct one misperception I do hear from people on this story. Some of the times people say what Jesus was doing was he was modeling servanthood, but Jesus has got himself. He doesn't serve, right? It's just him modeling, pretending, if you will, so we know how we're to act. And there's a show that my family loves that kind of is like this. It's called Undercover Boss. Anybody else like this show? If you don't know the show, it's, uh, here's the premise. It's a very basic premise. It's a reality show, and they take an actual CEO of a company, and the CEO, they put him in a disguise, and then he or she gets to be kind of an entry-level job. Some of the times they're a janitor. Some of the times they park cars. Some of the times they answer the phones. But they've got this disguise so their coworkers don't know who they are, right? And they get to do these entry-level jobs to see how does the company really run and what needs to get fixed. And the end of the show, there's always this great reveal, which is a shock to me because they had a horrible disguise in the first place. How these people didn't know it's the CEO, I'll never know. But they reveal the CEO and there's all these tears. Some people are crying because they realize they're going to lose their job. They're a horrible human being and, <laughs> and they're found out. Others get promotions, all these things. But after the show, the CEO takes off the disguise and goes back to the C-suite and does just what he or she's always done. They don't stay at the entry level. It was just for a moment, just to get information, just to see. Some people think Jesus in the same way. He was just modeling for us, right? He, he was just trying to teach us how we were doing this, right? No. Bible describes... If you want to know what humility really looks like, look at God. God is perfect humility. Jesus himself said, if you want to know what God's like, look at me. Jesus himself, the perfect servant. He didn't do this to show us how to do things. This act revealed God's very character. Of all the beings in the world, God's the most humble. Of all the beings in the world, God's the greatest servant. And even Paul, later in his life, Paul, who was writing about this person, Jesus, he said it this way. He said, in your relationships with one another, he's talking about the church. He's like, in how you relate to each other in the church, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, 
by taking on the very nature of a servant. And he humbled himself by becoming obedient all the way to the cross to death. Paul's saying, Jesus wasn't pretending to be a servant. This was his true nature. He's revealing himself to you and I. So we, as his followers, as Christians, we should serve because that is a better, uh, that's better modeling. It's better us uh, showing God's very character. The core of Christianity is you and I, our hearts and our minds and our actions are to emulate the life of Christ. Make sense? So the reason we serve, if you ever wondered, it's because Jesus asked us to because God himself is a great servant and you and I will find great blessings in it. So here's the question. In the metaphor of your life, seated at a table, what are you doing? What's your posture? As you go through your life, is it all about you? If you look at your calendar, is it all your time, your agenda? When it comes to needs around you, serving needs, are you the first one to step up and take a knee and take the towel, or are you sitting waiting for somebody else to do it? Which is it? See, here's the thing. You have the power to choose. It's your choice. No one else can choose for you. And what Jesus asks, if you're his follower, is that you be the first one to take off the coat. Just set aside your pride. Pick up a towel. Humble yourself. Look around. Go, what can I do? Is there anything I can do to serve somebody else? And where there's a need that you see with speed and intentionality, take a knee. Just go, yep. It's not enough to know the right answer. Got to put it to work. I got to do something. And Jesus describes your very best life will not be found in all the accolades and all the achievements. Your best life won't be found in getting to the top of whatever social pyramid you think there is. Your best life will be found in this posture with humility, and with intentionality, putting aside your pride and saying, I'm here to serve because the one I follow gave his life to serve all of us. And that's your choice. My hope is that you make the decision that you choose to serve. Just devote your life to this. No more pride marked by humility. No more sitting and waiting for somebody else to do it marked by action and intentionality. No one else is serving. That's fine. I will love to serve. You do this. You make this choice. You make this the pattern of your life. And God says, Jesus himself says, you will be blessed. Yes? Now, Now, I specifically want to talk to just this crowd in South Barrington now. At our church, if this is your home, if you were, yep, Willow Creek, South Barrington, that's my home. One of the things I'd tell you is you should be marked by service here. You should be giving back. Our church, it's very easy to sit in a seat and watch. And there are seasons where you need that. It's okay. But let it be a season and not a year or a decade. Find a place to serve. In fact, I would tell you after 23 years here, the people who are most happy and joyful and getting the most and growing out of this church are the ones who serve. They find a place where there's a need that they can give back to. They, they find a people group they're going to serve together. And they're going to find those blessings every time they walk into this church. But I know there's barriers to serving. Uh, I know one of the barriers, you go, it's such a big place. Uh, like, what are the opportunities? Well, good news. We have tons of opportunities. Some of the times you look at a place like this and you go, I don't think they need anything. Everything's running so well. We have need. And we know sometimes the barrier is just how do you take that first step 
So we wanted to make it as easy as possible to take a step of serving. We've got this new thing we're piloting. It's called See the Serve. And the idea of this is, rather than jumping in and asking you to serve day one, we think it'd be great if you, if you go, yeah, I want to do something. I want to serve. Try just shadowing somebody in a role around the church. And just seeing if that's the role. If that's not the role, then shadow another one. But get a glimpse of all these different roles at the church. So we built on our app a, a site where it's just called See the Serve. And you can filter through all the different opportunities. You can filter through all the different serving times, all the different groups. You can look at them all and just choose one. As well, we've got a website that way. And you can as well, I'd tell you, if, if you go, yeah, I want to do something right now today, go to Guest Central right through here. Stop by, and we've got volunteers there. And some of you go, man, what are the different serving opportunities you do? There's so many different ones. You love holding babies. Good news, we have lots of babies you can hold down in Promised Land. You go, man, my heart's for middle schoolers. All they go through, boy, we have great middle school ministries. Everything from small group leading to production for those services to operations there. Uh, I have a friend who's a lawyer and actually uh, became a pretty, uh, he's a new Christian. And he just said, can you use my legal skills? And I smiled and said, our care center actually has a bunch of lawyers who pro bono help people who have need around their legal issues. Uh, we use, we have a dentist clinic. You may not know that in our care center. So if you have a dentistry background, you go, could you use this? Absolutely. There's so many different ways from helping fix cars to helping with people's legal needs. Uh, to leading small groups to help people get into community, all the way around. I mean, there's so many options. And what I'd ask you, if you call this place home, but you don't have that place, you can't tell me right now, this is where I serve, pick up the app, click on See the Serve, just browse them, and just say a simple prayer, God, would you guide me to the one that might be a great place for me to serve? You do that. You try it. I think God will lead you down a path to find a place, a ministry, a role that you're blessed at. So that's in your hands. I challenge you, though, don't miss it. If you're feeling it right now, you go, I got to do this. Stop by Guest Central today. Jump on the app. But don't just sit in a chair if this is home. Get in the game. Don't just stand up. We'll close with prayer. And last thing, again, on this, uh, our prayer room is through here, right through those doors. If you need prayer, there's a group of volunteers there who love to pray with you. And I know many of you walk in the doors with a heavy burden, and we want to make sure you prayed for it before you leave. But let's go, can we? Let's pray. Yep, so God, this is my prayer. And God, before I ask anything, I'm once again just so grateful for how incredible you are, Father. I can't imagine a God who would humble himself, who would pick up a towel, who would wash a bunch of feet like mine, sinners like us. You are amazing and you're awesome. And we worship you in awe. Now, God, what I'd ask for our church, for me and for us, would you shape our hearts and our minds so that we would see the world the way you see it, that we'd recognize every opportunity, that we wouldn't buy into the lie that it's all about us, that we'd understand our calling is to serve others, not just the people we like, but every person. God, give us courage, humility, joy. God, I ask some of the people in this room, they know they need to serve. They need to just jump in here at the church. God, would you guide them to the right role, the right time, and the right place? Might they find fulfillment and joy in that? And God, use them. And God, last prayer is this. Shape our church, Father. 
Shape us into the church you need us to be. Shape us into a serving place known for humility. God, shape this in us now. We fully submit to you and have your way in us is our prayer. And we pray this now in the name of Christ. Amen. 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 Yeah. So good to be with you. Yeah, thanks so much for being here. Have a wonderful Sunday. Next week, we continue this series. We do one more week on serving. Matt Wright's going to be teaching, so we hope you'll be back for that. Have a great week. Blessings.